my name is Sarah Nielsen. For those of you who don't know me, I am the adult discipleship pastor here at The Bridge. And uh, if this is your first week in a while or uh, you missed the online service last time, I just want to remind you that we're in the middle of a sermon series called How We Know Where to Go. Uh, It's a sermon series that's intended to help us think corporately and personally about how we might begin to think about how does God guide our lives. If we have questions about what is next for us, if we're discerning a big decision, how do we go about understanding what God might be saying in that? And so uh, I have decided to share one of my best stories. You know how some people have like just a million good stories? I have like four. I have four good stories. Um, This is one of them. And so uh, when I was a senior in high school, I was trying to decide how I was going to spend the summer after my senior year before I went to college. So I obviously wanted to make some money to help save up for college. Um, I wanted to have flexibility to be home and spend time with my friends before we headed off to a bunch of different directions in the fall. Uh, But high school Sarah was um, similar to current day Sarah, a a fairly disciplined nerd, okay? Um, I was one of those teacher's pet types, right? I like to follow the rules and do all of the right things. And so one of the ways that I did that at that time was to spend every night before I went to bed reading my Bible and praying. Now, there were some really good and beautiful motives in that, and there were also just some very legalistic motives. I like to check off the box, right? I know that's a thing I should be doing, so I'm going to make that part of my practice. Um, There were mixed motives, but some of it was beautiful. So one, one night I was praying, and I remember specifically that night I asked God, show me where you want me to go this summer. Now, uh, the next morning, I got up and started my day, and I signed on to my fairly new, at that time, Facebook profile page. Uh, This was 2009, and so we were still updating our statuses, remember that, and posting super long books of communication to each other just on our walls. We didn't really understand how Facebook worked, Uh, but that's how it was working at that point. And so I signed into my Facebook profile only to discover that in my status on Facebook, there had been posted a link to Riverside Lutheran Bible Camp Dash Employment. Thank you, Time Hop, for giving me evidence here. I screenshotted this a few years ago when it came up as a memory because, again, this is one of my best stories, and I knew I was going to need a visual (laughs) at some point. And so... Uh, This was a camp that a number of my friends who knew that I hated camps had worked at in the past. And since I had grown up in a Reformed church setting where we don't typically expect God to speak in really clear and audible and miraculous ways to us when we pray, uh, my first response to this was to grill all of my friends, right? It was like, how did you find my password in my Facebook profile? Like, there's no way. Right? There's no way. Someone had to have hacked my Facebook profile. Someone had to have done something to post this. Um, And so I had never been to that web page before, so I knew that I hadn't somehow accidentally copied and pasted this link in my Facebook profile. Um, And so after several interrogations of my friends, which I think also included my mom calling some of them, and was like, no, really, if you did this, you need to tell us because she's thinking about doing this and she's going to hate it. I mean, I think that was kind of the vibe of that moment. Um, And so uh, I was left with no other option at that time than to believe that maybe God was directing me to spend my summer as a camp counselor. 
now, as I mentioned, for some people, this would be a delightful revelation. Um, some people love camp, not me. I was an introvert, and I hated group games, and I got really easily homesick. In fact, uh, when I was younger, I had been sent home crying. I wouldn't stop crying for like six hours. They finally let me call my parents and go home. Like, I was not a camp person. But I had spent enough time reading the Bible and hearing about God in church to know that it was actually pretty consistent with the character of God to ask people to do hard things that they don't want to do. And even though I had not personally experienced it before, and really no one around me had experienced it before, I had heard some stories in scripture of God speaking really directly through some pretty crazy means like a donkey to direct his people. So I knew enough to know that it wasn't out of the realm of possibility for God to ask me to do something I really did not want to do. And so with a lot of fear and tears, uh, I left and I spent the summer before college away from my friends at Riverside Lutheran Bible Camp. Uh, I wish I could tell you that it was wonderful and I loved it. I didn't. That was not the, that was not the story. Uh, but it did build some really important muscles for me, uh, for functioning independently, for praying to God when I didn't have anyone else around who really knew me at the beginning of the summer. And it did lead to me meeting one of my uh, best friends, my roommate at, at college that first year. Um, so there's one of my best stories. There you have it. Um, I feel like I need to caveat that story um, by telling you that at no other time in my life has God's voice leading me been that clear. Most of the time, it feels pretty fuzzy. I maybe have a gut feeling that God is leading in a certain direction or I feel peace about a certain decision. God doesn't usually ma make the path as clear as speaking with an audible voice or uh, hacking your face. Uh, I don't think, at least not for me, that has not been a consistent experience, but God does guide us in other more subtle ways. And so today we're going to read about Moses. I'm going to invite up Justine Stroud to read our passage for today. And Moses was someone who needed and listened for God's direction and guidance a lot. Um, and hopefully in this story, we can see some helpful principles that are going to prepare us to hear God's guidance in whatever way he chooses to speak. Come on up, Jeff. He's going to be reading from Exodus 33, verses 7 through 11. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside <coughs> of the camp some distance away, calling his assembly to meet him. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And as Moses went out to the tent... The people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents and watched Moses as he entered the tent. When Moses went into the tent, the, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they stood and worshiped at the entrance of their tents. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua would not leave the tent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jeff. So let me just start, for those of you who maybe have not thought about Moses for a while, um, by giving you some quick highlights from the life of Moses that led up to this point where he's speaking to God in the tent of meeting. So Moses was set to be killed as an Israelite child. 
Uh, but his mother, with God's help, successfully kept him alive, and he ended up being raised by an Egyptian pharaoh's daughter, right? And eventually, as he grew up, he saw all this injustice happening to the Israelites around him and chose to murder an Egyptian and run away into the desert, okay? So this is the first kind of section of Moses's life. And then when Moses was in the desert, uh, God spoke to Moses in a burning bush, another pretty crazy way for God to choose to speak. And God told Moses to go back to Egypt and free the Israelite people. Now, Moses, in this section of the Bible, if you read it in Exodus, Moses was talking almost daily to God, getting new instructions for what to do next. And ultimately, God freed the Israelites through Moses' leadership and his willingness to ask God for each next step. Then Moses went out into the wilderness with likely 600,000 people who were now looking to him for leadership and provision. Two months later, after they had started their journey in the wilderness, the Israelites were in the desert of Sinai, and Moses left those 600,000 people to go up on a mountain to be with God for 40 straight days. This was when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and some of the other instructions about how to live together in community and worship God. And then when Moses came back down the mountain, all chaos had broken loose, right? The people had built an idol, and God was threatening to leave them on their own. And Moses went and talked to God and fought for them, fought for the Israelites, and begged God to stay present with them. And that's the story that happens right before our story today, where we hear about the tent of meeting. It's at that point in the story where we're told that Moses created this habit of taking a tent and pitching it far away from the rest of the Israelite people to go and sit and meet with God. This is, he called the tent of meeting. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that you have been charged with leading 600,000 people through a desert. I imagine you'd be pretty aware daily of your need for God's guidance. And also imagine that you over and over again have experienced God speaking to you and rescuing you and guiding you to things that helped keep you alive, literally alive and free from the Egyptians. Moses was desperate and longing for conversation with and guidance from God because he knew how good it was. He knew how listening to God and following his lead was ultimately bringing freedom and life to these people. Later in scripture, we see Jesus doing the same thing. In the midst of healing people and multiplying food, we hear that Jesus would often go to a quiet place alone and to pray. So Jesus and Moses gave us all of the examples of creating a habit to make time to speak with God. And one of the things that I love about the story of Moses going to the tent of meeting is that the passage also says that anyone who wanted to inquire of God, anyone who wanted to talk to God, to get to know God, to hear God's direction and guidance for their life, was invited to go to this tent of meeting too. That surprised me actually when I read this story. If you're familiar with the story of Moses and Exodus at all, most of what we see God interacting with the people is God is like big and scary on the mountain in these clouds and fire and people can't come close to him. But when I read this passage over and over, it really said anyone, any one of those 600,000 people could choose to go to this tent where Moses was meeting with God to seek God's guidance and to listen to him, to be there with him as a friend. The invitation to be friends with God and to talk with God was open to the whole community, not just the leader. Now, I want to just 
briefly take aside for here for a minute before I go any further, because you're probably seeing where this sermon is going, right? I'm going to make the case in the rest of this sermon that in order to discern where God is leading us, we have to create space and consistent practices that help us know what God is like and be open to listening. That's the whole, that's the whole thing. That's where we're going. Uh, for some of us, me included, as you heard from my first story, uh, at points in our life, this good invitation has turned into legalism. Right? It's felt like if we don't have a daily quiet time, we aren't good Christians. Or if we don't have a regular practice of Bible study and prayer, we're just loaded with shame. And the time that we do take maybe feels more like an obligation rather than something life-giving and joyful. Now, so hear me before I go into the rest of this sermon. Practices do nothing to earn you favor with God. Okay? They, earn, they do nothing to earn you favor with God. God is just as happy with you if you do no practices as if you do lots of practices. You're not a better or worse person if you pray daily or read your Bible regularly because God is capable of finding other ways of chasing after you. As Suzanne talked about in her Psalm 23 sermon a couple of weeks ago, he is able to meet you where you go, on the go. He is following, he is chasing you down. So I want to make sure that you hear that first before I say the rest of the things that I'm going to say. Because for Moses, I don't think that this practice of setting aside time to be with God came from a sense of legalism or trying to please God. I think Moses knew that time with God was what would sustain him and that the direction from God is what would sustain the community he is leading. So the, the passage tells us that when Moses went to be with God, they would speak face to face as one speaks with a friend, which means that Moses had grown to know God pretty well. Now, I, I have a couple of friends and family members, I'm sure you do too, that you know very well. I know the tone of their voice when they're in a bad mood. Uh, I know what things will bring them joy and what things will trigger anxiety for them. I know them well enough that I can often predict with pretty good accuracy how they would respond to me or counsel me in any given situation. I'm guessing that you have people like that in your life too. If you tell them a story, you know what their first response is going to be. When I think about this sermon topic of discerning God's will, one of the things that seems the most important to me as a first step is actually getting to know what God is like. If we are going to ask God what he thinks or where he's leading, a big part of that is knowing what has God said about similar situations in the past? How has God responded when people approached him with a question like this? Or in general, what does God seem to value and what does he seem not to value, right? God's values tend to be different than ours. It's good to familiarize ourselves with how he might value the situation that we're talking about. And honestly, the best way to start to know God and to know the answer to some of those questions is to spend time in scripture. God has given us a book full of stories of his ways to show us what he seems to value and to show us how he responds in lots of different situations. Now, it's certainly not as simple as knowing the Bible and then plugging and playing the right Bible story to get to the answers for whatever you're asking questions of God about, right? But as you get to know the stories of God in Scripture, it's like getting to know a friend. You can imagine maybe the tone of God's voice in a different response. You can imagine what God might value in the decision that you're making. You can imagine how God might engage with you, especially if you begin familiarizing yourself with the stories of Jesus, who is the best picture we get of God engaging with humanity. It's the best picture we get of what God is like is in Jesus. 
And unfortunately, as I mentioned, it's, it's pretty infrequent that God is going to hack your Facebook page or show up in a literal burning bush or speak in a booming, audible voice. Sometimes God speaks by giving us a sense of peace that whatever we are about to do is in line with God's character and will. So it's helpful to know what God's character and will might be as you're listening. If you need an easy place, place to start, I, I know that approaching scripture can feel, I mean, it's a giant book and it's a confusing book and it can be hard to get back into a regular practice. I would encourage you to start just reading one of the gospels. Look at the stories of Jesus. The, um, if you're someone who likes podcasts, the Bible Project has a free weekly scripture podcast where they read a passage of scripture and then they give a short like four or five minute explanation of what you just read. There's an app that you can download. Um, and you can, if you are someone who knows the Bible a little bit better and just needs to get back into it, I would encourage you, just Google a Bible reading plan and just start somewhere, right? Just taking the step to start re-engaging is an important step. And if you have questions about that, uh, Pastor Suzanne or Pastor Bep or I would happily have a conversation with you about what might be a good place to start. But the goal, right, is not to do this thing. I, I'm exercising right now. It's a hard thing. I don't like exercising, okay? It's, my husband loves to exercise. I like to like cook healthy meals. We're very different in this. But for me, the, the practice of exercising feels like I am just like, I have to do it. I have to do it. I'm going to make myself go downstairs. I'm going to make myself walk on the treadmill. I'm going to do all this stuff. I don't think scripture reading has to feel quite like that. Okay, there's, there's a time and a place where you just choose in and you do it to, to learn and to grow. But I think that there are different ways that you can engage that might actually feel life-giving and like they are fun for you. So anyways, feel free to talk to one of the pastoral staff if you need ideas for that. Uh, so once we have a sense of the character of God by learning scripture, if we're hoping to discern something with God, I think the next hurdle that we have to overcome is how busy and how noisy our lives are. In other words, we have to find time to get away from the 600,000 people at the camp, right, and get to a quiet place to meet with God. And there may be a couple of reasons that I think that this is hard for us. First, for those of us who have a lot of activities built into our week or children to keep track of, life is certainly packed full of things that need our attention and might literally just be loud. At our uh, young adult small group a couple of weeks ago, um, one of the children was just roaring like a dinosaur through the whole small group. And it was lovely, and it was beautiful, and uh, it's very fun to have children around. But it gave me a picture of, like, literally, it is noisy. <laughs> it is noisy when you have little kids around the house, right? Um, and so that may actually be a barrier of finding actual quiet space and still space to be with God. Uh, or there just may be very little time in your schedule to be alone, uh, given all you're committed to right now. So if that's you, if that's the barrier that's in the way for you, I, I want you to hear two things. Uh, first, there's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, right? God, God is gracious and knows that there are different seasons of life, that different things are possible. Um, but the second thing that I want you to hear and consider is it might be important to get creative, okay? So could you stop doing one of the activities you've been doing to carve out a little space? It's a hard question. Um, could you ask a spouse or a family member or even a babysitter like once a month to watch your kids for an hour so you can have some alone space? Could you allow the kids to have 30 minutes more screen time once a week so that you can be assured they're occupied while you sit in the next room and have a little more space with God? I think there are some creative ways to start carving out space in those places. There is grace, like I said, for wherever you're at right now, but if you're longing to have this friendship-type relationship with God, Maybe ask some people you love to help you brainstorm. 
what are some places that you could get more creative with your time. The second reason, though, that I think that we don't create space to choose into getting to know God more in prayer and conversation is because it feels awkward. Um, we don't know what to do, right? You're just sitting there like, okay, <laughs> what do I do now, right? How do I, how do I be with God in this place? Maybe we've tried that in the past, and it felt weird, or for some reason, we just have deep resistance to creating that space right now with God. I just want you to know that that is very normal. I think even those of us in our midst who have this practice, there are seasons where it feels awkward to sit with God and be still and be in prayer. Even Mother Teresa, right, who is well known for loving people well out of an overflow of her friendship with God, documented a years-long experience of not feeling like God was speaking or present when she went to pray. Mother Teresa, you guys. Um, I have been in seasons where I knew that I should make time to pray, and that I wanted to know God, but I couldn't get past my own apathy or my own fear or anxiety that maybe it wouldn't feel good if I tried to sit with God. Like maybe he wouldn't show up in the way that I wanted him to. Uh, there have been months at a time that I have not set aside time to be with God, not because of lack of time, but because I couldn't guarantee what that time in prayer would feel like or look like. It is a real fear, and it's a hard place to be in, but unless you've had some kind of trauma in places of prayer where maybe therapy is a good next step, uh, an in-between step. The only thing I would say is you'll never know unless you try and keep trying. You'll never know what it's going to be like unless you try and keep trying. If you try once and it's awkward, my guess and my personal experience is that it will get less awkward the more frequently you practice it. You can just sit down and start being like, here are the things that happened this week. Just list out the things that happened in your week and get past that first awkward what do I do conversation. There are lots of different ways and practices that can help you lean into prayer. And again, feel free to send me an email if you would like to talk through some of those. Um, but I will say that in the times that I have consistently showed up with God in places of prayer and places that are quiet, the more tangible peace I have and the less alone I feel. Not immediately. Okay, so if you try it and it feels weird, it's, it's not an immediate thing. But the consistent practice I think, helps us build this kind of friendship with God that Moses had with God. And then when you get to a place that you need guidance or you're wondering what the good next step is, you've already built a habit of talking to God, and it will feel less awkward to ask God questions about where he might be leading you. I think it's just, it's worth pressing into the awkward for a while. And it's important to have a little bit of relationship with God and a habit of talking to him if you're going to be really ready to listen to how God might be showing you where he wants you to go. Okay, last point. Uh, if the first two things uh, that are important in listening for God are getting to know what God is like and creating space to be with him, the, the final thing is just to actually ask. Ask the question to God of what do you want me to do? right? Where do you want me to go? What do you think about this situation? Now, this might seem like a no-brainer, uh, but it's surprisingly easy to forget, and it's surprisingly vulnerable to do. Actually asking God for direction. All throughout scripture, especially in the teachings of Jesus, we are told to ask God for things, to ask directly, to pray for specific things, but that is a vulnerable thing to ask for something and not be able to guarantee that it will happen, right? If you never ask, then maybe you know, who knows? Maybe I didn't ask, so maybe God didn't answer because I didn't actually ask. 
But if you ask God, it is a vulnerable space. It's an act of faith. Sometimes we may not be able to tell the answer to our prayer, but so, and sometimes God will bring a burning bush or a talking donkey or a Facebook post or a feeling of peace or the words of a friend to answer questions that we were bold enough to ask. And I think if we go back to the story of Moses, I think that's how Moses got bold enough to ask things of God. Is he asked for some things and God spoke. And he went back and he asked for some other things and he saw that God was eager to engage him. And then when it got time for God to say to Moses, I'm leaving you all because you have been disobedient to me. God was able to say, do not leave. I, I can't lead these people without you. And he fought back with God. He had boldness with God because of the ways that he had been in deep relationship asking for God's guidance for a long period of time. So we're going to hear about a lot of other things that go into the process of discerning God's voice and direction in the next few weeks. And these are all important. Things like listening to a diversity of voices and wise counsel, knowing how your values and giftings fit into the picture of discernment and interpreting the circumstances around you. But a good base to have in all of this is a practice of getting to know God and spending time with him. That's important for every other stage of the process. And so I am praying that as a church, God would give us the courage and the hunger to grow in that individually and corporately as a church in this next year. Would you pray with me? God, we confess uh, that there is apathy and fear and anxiety and disappointment that stand in the way sometimes of spending time with you, of getting to know your word. There are hard questions and things that we have in our past that feel like barriers. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that in the lives of each person in this room and in our body together, that you would begin tearing down barriers, that you would begin softening places that our hearts are hard, that you would begin removing shame and legalism and all of the things that stand in the way of keeping us from getting to know you better. God, I pray that you would show us who you are as we engage your word, as we engage in community, as we spend time in prayer. Would you show us, show us what you are like, and would you make us willing and open to follow you wherever you lead? In Jesus' name, amen.